Hey everyone, it's Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock Podcast. Now, this past weekend, I was able to attend the world's largest steampunk festival, the Steampunk World's Fair, which is held in Somerset, New Jersey. And despite one day of rain, we had two perfect days of weather after that. And it was absolutely wonderful because there's indoor and outdoor activities practically 24 hours a day. It's the most amazing show ever. Um, Now, what I did was I recorded... One of the panels, the Gender Bias in Steampunk panel, and since it was about an hour long, I gave that its own Vodka Clock episode, so that's prior to this, episode 1416, and that was an amazing panel with um, some musicians that you know you might be familiar with, Bunny Bennett from Steam Powered Giraffe, Unwoman, and Luna the Wandering Cellist. Um, there were a couple other guests up there as well. So here on this particular episode, like I said, it's going to be short, um, just samples of some things. I wanted you to hear the music of Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, which uh, is a band made up of other bands. That's the way they describe themselves. Uh, I also got to see This Way to the Egress, which they've been coming to the steampunk shows here in New Jersey, and I always manage to miss when they're actually on stage. So as I was wandering around and I ran into some Star Wars friends, um, some, you know, great people from the 501st were there, you know, getting their steampunk on. It was fantastic. They uh, said that they were going to see This Way to the Egress, and I'm like, I need to go see them finally. So I managed to, you know, have enough of a block of time that I could go with them to see that. And I also got to see a few songs from The Wasties, which is the uh, house band, if you will, of The Way Station in Brooklyn. Um, and I sat through about, well, not sat, stood, I should say, through about half of the Steam Power Giraffe concert. Um, I didn't get any recording of, of that, though. But uh, honestly, if you go over to YouTube, I'm pretty sure you can find just exactly how awesome they are. Because it's a very visual performance that they give. So just getting the audio from them, I really didn't think was going to be enough. Um, that's kind of the way I look at it. They're They're just very visual. What I want to do first for you is play the reading of O.M. Gray reading her short story, A Clockwork Heart, and then we'll segue into music from some of the bands. Human she appeared. Dr. Clay was known for his clockwork creation, watchmaker turned inventor. His gadgets made him quite the wealthy man over the years, quite the celebrity too. He couldn't keep up with demand. His work was held in high regard. However, nothing in his Camden shop came close to what Penny claimed about Eleanor. Nothing at all. It was called Clegg's Clockwork Carnival, and he worked there day after day, leaving only to sleep. Penelope hardly saw her father, but scarcely knew him. Although sometimes, he'd make it home in time to read her a bedtime story. Those were Penny's favorite books. We sipped our tea, just as we had done dozens of times before, as Penny entertained us with her strange story. The cheeriness of the Clegg's parlor, with his rosy hues and fine furniture, not to mention the cozy roaring fire, offset the macabre beginning. I listened with interest, as if it were no more real than the modern Prometheus or one of Poe's dreadful tales. Penny's father would read such stories, rather bizarre thing to read to a young girl, but he was rather a bizarre man. Mad, some said. Dr. Clegg thought the modern Prometheus nonsense. Fiction or no, one couldn't bring the dead back to life of lightning. Absurd was the word he had used, and so it was the word Penny used as well. 
Absurd, she said, slamming her fist down on the table, just as her father had done when he told his tale. Now, clockwork, my dear. She lowered her voice to imitate her father's, raising a determined finger. Clockwork? Gears and cogs and such that a man can control. That would, that did work. Sarah's eyes widened in surprise as they did each time Penny arrived at this part of the story, as if hearing it for the first time. Penny performed it perfectly. She topped off her tea, slowly stirring until the sugar cube dissolved. Pitter-pats counted the seconds with us. Finally, she continued in softer, aside tones. I thought it was a scary bedtime story and had accepted that over time, of course, for he had told me all sorts of frightening tales. Still, at first, I couldn't look at Eleanor after dark. A single candle, uh, excuse me, a single candle on Penny's nightstand kept the darkness at bay until Eleanor extinguished it after Penny had gone to sleep. I'd wake up time to time just when Eleanor blew out the flame. I'd see those empty eyes behind her spectacles and ask, Is it true? Do you really have a clockwork heart? To which she'd answer, Your father shouldn't tell you such tales, child. Now go to sleep. During the light of day, we'd never speak of it, but her vacant eyes followed me everywhere. A chill settled in my spine when they'd fall upon me. Yet I loved her dearly. As I matured, I dismissed it as all father's trickery. The years passed and the scars along Eleanor's wrists, yes, I did catch a glimpse now and again, despite her efforts to hide them, faded ever so slowly until they were nothing but a thin white line. Some horrible accident, no doubt. After all, one didn't ask about such things. How rude. So you continued thus for years, I interrupted. Tell what comes next, Penny. Tell about the change in her eyes. Honestly, Alice, perhaps you should like to tell the tale yourself. It's all in good fun, isn't it? Fine tale, indeed, but it's just tale. You're young women now, Penny, I said. We'll have husbands soon, so let's stop this foolishness. Admit it. It's just a fantastical yarn your father spun. Admit it. This had become rather tedious. Shut it, Alice, Sarah said most unlike her normal gentle demeanor. Let her finish. You insist she start, so let her finish. Quite cross, brows furrowed, stiff body and hostility in her eyes. She shockingly didn't back down, but rather stared with the most determined stare. Aggression twisted her sweet face such that I haven't the words to describe. I chuckled, hoping to return to the pleasantries of tea and strange stories, but she didn't yield. Penny's expression hovered between anguish and anger. You don't believe me, Alice. After all this time and everything we've meant to one another. Tears gleamed in her eyes. You truly don't believe me. But I make up such a tale. This is serious business, Alice. These are matters of the heart and soul. Not something to be taken lightly. Their furious glares weighed heavy upon me. Pitterpats permeated the silence hanging between us until I spoke again. Softly, with words of regret and apology, I said, Forgive me, dear sisters, for you are both my sisters, if not in blood, then in heart and soul. Quite right, Penny. One doesn't trifle with such things. Please continue. I'll listen intently and without further interruption. Especially if I might have another delicious scone. Chocolate, please, if you will. That broke the tension, thankfully. My penchant for all things chocolate had become quite the lark between us. Assuaged, Penny pushed the pastry tray closer to me, then continued... One day, her eyes did change, indeed. About a year ago, 
just after my 16th birthday. I've long since asked about the clockwork heart, believing like you it was nothing but a morbid tale my father had concocted, and I had locked such childish things away with my dolls in the cedar chest beneath the window. Even though father could now afford a proper governess, and I no longer needed a nanny, Eleanor remained, like a mother she was. But that day, she became a sister, a confidant. I can feel, she had said, eyes gleaming in the candlelight, sparkling with a life inside I had never before seen. The dullness in her eyes, as well as the thin scars on her wrists, I had assumed was due to some horrible past. Many suffer in the streets, and they obtain jobs and find a household if they can to get away from such a miserable existence. She had obviously been hurt, likely by a cruel father or another man. The cruelty of man knows no bounds. Darkness shadowed Penny's eyes once more. I figured that father had offered her an escape, hired her for room and board, which was enough for Eleanor. By the time father's wealth had increased, Eleanor had became part of the family, so there was no turning her out. No, no. But back to the day her eyes changed. Yes, like I said, life, a new spark. She showed me her wrists in full on that day. I know no longer must I catch a glimpse here and there from beneath her lace cuff. She willingly pulled them aside and showed scars that not only encircled both her wrists, but also extended the length of her forearms. Sarah and I sat in rapt attention. It mattered not that we knew the tale forward to back to forwards again. It was quite like watching Romeo and Juliet, hoping that this time the message would reach Romeo. This time, Juliet would wake just a moment sooner. One knew the horror would come time after time, but one hoped against hope for a happy ending in love. It was what everyone hoped for, after all. Despite the fact no joy was found in such tragic tales of love, still we hoped. I remember love, she had said that fateful day. A tear formed in the corner of one eye. It was more like a drop of oil than a tear. Never in my life had the woman shown an ounce of emotion. Laughter sometimes, but quite hollow laughter. That day, she giggled, much like we do when speaking about a handsome boy at a dance, yet she was no girl, a grown woman, never having been anything but stern and serious, albeit kind and caring to me, laughed and cried all at once. Isn't it wondrous, she had said. I can feel again. Your father, what a great man, he did this for me. After months of pleading, he finally let me feel once again. Once again, I asked How was it that she couldn't have felt before? Penny shot me a warning glance, reminding me of my promise not to interrupt. That's the strangest of the strange, you see. She said she remembered loving and laughing and dancing, but those memories were through such fog. He's told you the stories, and you asked me time and again when you were a girl if they were true, if I had a clockwork heart, she said. Well, my dear, it is true. As she exclaimed these words, she flailed her hands about so and so and so, Penny said, demonstrating for us, emphasizing her delight in her new elation. Her fingers tugged at the bow round her throat, coaxing it loose. And buttoning her high-collared blouse, one after another, revealed a thicker scar like the ones round her wrists, but far wider and more gruesome. One encircled the whole of her throat, extending from that like a thin white cravat, a 
crooked scar dipped down into her corset. Button after button, she followed it. Then, pulling the top of her corset down, she exposed the most hideous scar I had ever seen before or since. Truly, ladies, no words can capture the knotty twists and turns of the mangled flesh over her heart. She bade me put my ear against the grotesque skin to listen. I loved her so, and I didn't wish to distress the poor woman, who had obviously known too much pain already, so I ensured my face remained pleasant throughout the ordeal. I placed my ear upon the infernal flesh, and I heard it. Indeed, it was like the ticking of a clock. So often I had heard it throughout my life. Father was a clockmaker, after all. It was easily explained away, was it not? Our home is filled with clocks in this room and that, but this ticking... It sounded much as if a watch had fallen beneath the sofa cushions. Muffled, I interrupted again. Yes, she exclaimed. So you've heard it too. I have, but you will have us believe the sound was truly this poor soul's heart. Impossible. I thought so too, but I saw it with my own eyes and heard with my own ears. Father's stories were true, and she confirmed by filling in the rest. He might be as mad as Victor Frankenstein, after all. He had taken my mother's, his beloved's body, and brought it back to life. Sarah and I gasped together. This part was altogether new, as was the intangible melancholy about Penny. We had heard before about the change in her eyes and the showing of the scars, but, but not this. Eleanor is your mother? You have not told us such before, Penny. You're having a go just discovered so myself a few days ago. A tear slid down her cheek. Eleanor remembered none of her previous life, so she didn't say as much. I found father altogether distraught on Tuesday, weeping alone in his laboratory. Broken, he confessed all. But I get ahead of myself. Back to the day a year ago, Eleanor remembered love, and she wanted to feel love again. She had glimpses of such joy, but my father, she said, was hesitant to allow it. Now, well over a decade since her death and rebirth, my father confessed how his heart had broken again, seeing her about the house without memory of him all their life together. It was worse than her dead. Still, he had taught her things anew, and she had remembered others through the murky haze of her resurrected mind, but not him, not their life or their love. She had served as my nanny and governess all in one, a proper mother, as it were. She was my mother, after all, although she didn't remember. Certainly, that's why he kept her hidden away. Her family and all of London would be horrified at the notion, as they should be. As am I, she cried. Oh, Penny, I exclaimed. I had been so enthralled with Penny's macabre tale, I hadn't noticed Sarah had grabbed both my hands and held them tight in her own terror. Is the rest of it true, then? The story you've told us before? Knowing this now, well, it changes at all, doesn't it? Could it be true? You poor thing. Oh, your poor father. My poor father, nothing. This is just punishment for playing God and forcing his selfish desires on another. My poor, poor mother. Yes, poor Eleanor. She had been empty for so long, but not on that day. She shone on that day. She shone with hope and light. She took me out to the park and we twirled and danced in the sunshine. We leapt through the wildflowers and laughed loudly up to the blue sky. Oh, Sarah. Oh, Alice. If that kind of joy could be bottled in a small green fire, well, 
I would be the wealthiest debutante in all of London, in all of England. That day, she met him, Daniel, her beauty, her light. The renewed life inside her glowed and flowed from her, and it intoxicated Daniel. From that day forward, he came to call on her, whispering words of love and promises of marriage. Father became ever more surly as the days passed, and now I understand why. He had aged, but Eleanor had not. Somehow, what he had done to her slowed aging, so she looked as young as the day she had died. She fell so deeply in love with Daniel. You will recall for that short time I talked of her annoying, constant prattling about Daniel. But now I would give everything, even my own life, such as my sorrow for her, just to hear her laugh and watch her dance again. Through her, I understand the complete horror that is love. So I shall not marry, no matter what. I shall study and learn and isolate myself, gladly to avoid such a fate. Show us this time, please. Prove once and for all to your dearest friends it's not a crazy tale. Although I can scarce believe you would speak such blasphemies of your late mother as such if it weren't true. Is it too horrible to be true, or is it too horrible not to be? Penny ignored the questions. Daniel stopped coming round not too long after that day in the sunshine. Father had nothing to do with Daniel throwing Eleanor over. The treachery of men and the lies they tell for love need no assistance from another. Each of them is selfish and cowardly, aren't they? Father selfishly brought his love back to life, then kept her from feeling love for 16 years. Through his tears, he confessed all. If she didn't love him, she would love no man. After so much time, he hoped she would love him anew, memory or no. He had been so lonely, but she loved another, and she was punished for it. On the third day Daniel hadn't called, Father delighted in bringing her word that Daniel was to marry another. Until that moment, I had been sitting with her, listening to her weep, wiping away her oily tears. Longing became agony, clarity, confusion. The muffled tick-tock of her heart waned. The moment she received word of Daniel's engagement sprawled in Father's handwriting, smelling of whiskey, the most awful sound ruptured beneath her corset. A guttural clang, followed by a strident scraping, grinding, then a spring, the full width of my thumb, and as long as my forearm, burst out through the hideous scar and her corset and her blouse, all at once. It bounced up and down, and the slow ticking and grinding within persisted. Heartbroken, her eyes darkened, and all manner and form of delight left her, her languid body empty again. She told me what Daniel had done before he had disappeared. I am too much of a lady to speak of it. Yes, heart and soul, not broken by death, but shattered beyond repair by love. From that awful day forward, she only did mindless motions and menial tasks like making tea, an infernal rusty spring forever bouncing from her breast. The rest of the time, she sat in the corner, rocking slowly to and fro with a faraway look in her vacant eyes. She aged quickly after that, and like all the last sixteen years and the decay of death caught up with her, from the rosy cheeks of a woman in her prime, a woman in love, she turned into an old broken crone in a year's time, all because of the selfish cruelty of man and his loving lies. So, you see, ladies, I shall remain unwed, and if you are wise, so will you.
Show us, I pleaded once again, my tears falling in time. My tears falling in time with pennies and Sarah's in the pitter-pat of the rain. There's nothing to show. You said she was still here. You said she made tea and such. Please, show us. She is still here. And she'll be here forevermore. Out there. She pointed towards a garden. Death overtook her a second time on Tuesday last, when I found father in his such deserved anguish. Now it is done, and so am I. There in the gray day, with the pitter-pat of the raindrops punctuating the silence beneath our collectively held breath, a freshly covered grave mounded between the daffodils. Whether or not the story was true, I couldn't tell, although I would wager my very sanity on it. After that day, I never returned to tea with Penelope Clay. When passing her father's shop in Camden, I walked just a little bit faster. Such was the tale of poor Eleanor's clockwork heart and the selfish cruelty of men. <laughs> uh, so that was, um, that was a short story I wrote last year, just about a year ago, actually. And um, if you are interested in more of my short fiction, you can find it on my blog, which is uh, omgray.wordpress.com. I've got some cards up here, so my blog address is on there. There's some free fiction on there, links to where you can get some on Kindle and in different anthologies. Um, I also have a collection of short stories, poetry, and, and essays called Caught in the Cause, named after my blog at my table, which is over at the embassy. I also have copies of my novels, so novels that I've written over there as well.
There's a man who I could never see. His face and his hand always covers up his teeth. <laughs>
Once again, you guys, you've been listening to a very special episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast. I'm Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. Special thanks, as always, to the great people who put on the Steampunk World's Fair, Jeff Mack Events, um, the sound people at Circuit 6. And what you heard today was a reading by O.M. Gray. And then you heard music by Eli August and the Abandoned Buildings, This Way to the Egress, and the Wasties. Be sure to tune in again next time, and don't forget to go back and check out that Gender Bias and Steampunk panel that I previously recorded and released. So thank you for listening, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>